0: Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart. Uh, Very excited about this week's episode with Tim Montague, the head of business development for Continental Energy Solutions and host of the Solar Podcast, which I am proud to say hasn't been released as we're sitting here recording today in early September. But I'm proud to say uh, that I have now been a guest of. uh, And Tim, thank you so much for returning the favor and and coming on to our show. We really appreciate having you.
1: Hmm. Thanks, David. I'm looking forward to this conversation and uh, so excited to learn about your podcast uh, on, uh, you know, waste energy. So
0: really uh, looking forward to this. Great. Well, um, we have a couple of themes today and in general on our podcast, we like to talk about how organizations are renewing uh, themselves. So while of course we we spend a lot of time in renewable energy and you being in the commercial and industrial solar and storage business, uh, of course, you know, it's very topical to be on this show, but also I uh, want to kind of touch on the energy transition is something that you mentioned to me and and starting that transition and what that means for individuals, uh, not just corporations. So we'll get into that later. Um, and then I want to touch on, you're you're based in Illinois, so I want to touch on that Illinois solar market. I know there's some really important legislation that we're kind of tracking there, uh, and I think as we record here, there's some some good exciting news, and that's moving along. But first, uh, before we get into all that, tell us a little bit about yourself, your personal background, how you ended up, you know, in the solar biz, and um, ended up as head of business development for CES for Continental Energy Solutions. Yeah,
1: thanks. So I was lucky enough to grow up in a very sunny place in Albuquerque, New Mexico, even though I'm a Midwesterner by birth, I was born in Bloomington, Indiana. My family moved to Albuquerque when I was two years old. And my dad was the DIYer. He was very interested in technology. And so we were building uh, solar thermal, hot water, devices and solar thermal cookers in my backyard and it was a lot of fun i was 10 years old and uh, uh pv wasn't on the scene right because pv was very expensive in the 70s it was probably upwards of uh 300 a watt now we're down um around 30 cents a watt so the price of solar has come down tremendously and and accordingly society has now you know fully embraced solar pv and it is a rocket ship I got into solar PV full-time in 2016, and sustainability, technology, and people are the threads that connect my various careers. I was an ecologist out of college, and I love nature and love working in ecology, but I'm more interested in business and the built environment. And so uh, I'm a fish in water, so to speak in solar PV. We got great legislation in 2016 called the future energy jobs act. And if you ever doubt the influence of government on markets, uh, this is a good case in point, you know, solar is not new to Illinois. Our uh, we have an Illinois solar energy association that dates back to 1980 or so. And so uh, and that was doing mostly solar thermal back in, you know, up until the early 2000s when solar PV really started to grow and then it took off in 2010. But it was a rocket ship starting in 2017 with the Future Energy Jobs Act. And that's how I came to solar full time. And, and interestingly, I was cold called by a Canadian gentleman from British Columbia who said, hey, Tim, we've reached grid parity with solar I thought I was going to work in the wind industry before I worked in solar because we had a tranche of wind that came in uh, when we first got our our renewable portfolio standard back in 2008. And, uh, you know, I was very interested in renewable energy. And so I was visiting wind farms and, and checking it out. But I was busy doing green building consulting. And then that call really catalyzed the me to uh, shine a light on solar PV. And I found Continental which is a fourth-generation family business here in Chicagoland, and away we go. I created a job for myself doing business development and sales, and we're the largest commercial industrial solar installer in Illinois now.
0: That's fantastic. I know there's been a lot of project development uh, in Illinois, and uh, the Adjustable Block Program, you know, I I, I know about enough to be dangerous, but um, tell us a little more just kind of on – that specific program and um, what's going well, what's not. I, I think I read uh, that there's over 5,000 projects kind of in limbo waiting for that program to be sort of jump-started. Uh, but to give us sort of, if you don't mind, kind of a market update on, on Illinois and where all that sits right now.
1: Absolutely. It's very exciting times in Illinois. We, just last night, the Illinois Senate voted on a 100% renewable portfolio standard bill, which is going to greatly expand uh, solar, wind, and battery storage in Illinois. Wow. Back in, you know, I mentioned FEJA, the Future Energy Jobs Act that we got first, which was in 2016, really took force in 2017. That incentivized three gigawatts of solar, including... Uh, a tranche of community solar projects. So there are 111, three megawatt DC community solar projects that are now built, and then a bunch of both uh, residential and commercial distributed generation. In the commercial market, we have a uh, behind the meter market of up to two megawatts AC or, you know, these projects might get as big as 2.7 2.9 megawatts DC. And so that really was a boom. Uh, prior to Fiji, we only had 200 megawatts in the whole state. So now we, we're we're chasing these three gigawatts. But the mechanism by which the the market is incentivized is RECs, renewable energy credits. And if you don't if you don't know, one megawatt hour of electricity from a renewable facility is one REC. And you know, so in block we we have what's called the adjustable block program. There were there's block one, two, three, and four. And the, the value of Rex starts high and then it steps down over time. And it steps down four percent or it's stepped down four percent from block one to two to three to four. And the idea is that you want to jumpstart the market, right? You give a richer incentive on the front end, and then those incentives slowly tail down. Well, in 2019, um, you know, we ran out of, of uh we ran out of Rex. And, and that was simply, you know, the, the program is funded by a fee on your energy bill. So if you're an Illinois and you are in IOU territory, meaning uh, ComEd, Ameren or Mid-American, and you look at your power bill, you'll see there's an RPS fee on there. It's about one uh, to two percent of your bill. It's a tiny fee. But all said, right, that money tr- is is real money. And that is collected by the utilities and then paid out to renewable energy facility owners. In the form of uh, RECs, and what that does is it just shortens the payback period. So, before REC, before the adjustable block program, we had maybe a a twelve to fifteen-year payback period, and then with those sweet RECs, we had a three to six-year payback period. What's going to happen now is with this new legislation, the the hundred percent RPS, it's called the governor's omnibus bill, and that is going to fuel additional recs on a much longer runway so that we don't have this kind of boom and bust that we had from mm-hmm. 2017 to 2019. I mean, we're still busy, David, here this summer in 2021 building rooftop solar, mostly though through the leftovers of the adjustable blocks one through four mm-hmm. or through a sister program uh, called Solar for All, which is incentivizing rooftop solar for low income uh, low and middle income communities. And these are mostly school projects that we're doing with a developer partner uh, or various developer partners of ours.
0: Are the Solar for All, are those community solar? where they, and you're partnered, um, you're building them on schools or, yeah, or the, are they actually the solar serving for all, the schools?
1: The Solar for All program is a parallel universe to the adjustable block. It is funded separately and it is a much smaller program but it has co- similar components it has a community solar component and you know the goal there is you're building a 2 to 3 megawatt solar farm out in uh, on a field somewhere could be a brownfield could be uh, a greenfield and you know we have a brownfield solar uh, project here in the city i live in in urbana which is repurposing a closed municipal landfill with a solar farm, and it's a side by side, two megawatt, two megawatt, so it's it's uh, four megawatts AC, and then the off-takers are low and me- um, low and middle income residents of the area. They can be anybody in in uh, Amherst territory, but they have to meet low income criteria, and then the same for the behind the meter market for residents and and commercial customers. There's uh, you know special incentives through that program to make solar more affordable for low and medium income, either business owners or residents.
0: Yeah, it's a great program. And thank you for uh, sharing a little bit more on that. We're seeing, I think, similar programs kind of pop up around the country and, um, you know, definitely uh, something that, that we're tracking. We had actually looked at a small portfolio of solar for, for all projects up in Illinois and um, we're working on it community solar project out in New Jersey. So, so does your company mostly build or is it mostly the EPC side, uh, Tim, or are you doing some of the development of those projects as well? We will self-develop
1: commercial industrial projects, behind mm-hmm. the meter projects, but we will, we do not develop community solar or utility scale solar projects. And, and so we're the Uh, Sometimes we're the the EPC, the engineering procurement and construction partner for a solar developer. Like we work a lot with Summit Ridge, who now owns something like 40% of the community solar uh, projects in Illinois. And we EPC'd four projects for them. And then sometimes we're just the C. If Mm -hmm. uh, the developer is going to be their own general contractor uh, somebody sure. like Nexamp is, is a developer that has that business model, and then we're just the electrical subcontractor and and have a more limited scope. So it sure. varies. And uh, we love developing, especially solar and battery storage projects. That's, that's kind of how we set ourselves apart from the competition. You know, there's a lot of solar installers in Illinois now. We also were an early adopter. We got into solar in 2008. And so now we have, uh, you know, 12 years under our belt, uh, over 100 projects. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example why storage is so important. I have an industrial customer in, in the Joliet area. Solar alone might mean 5 to $6 million of savings over 25 years, you know, net savings uh, for a large industrial solar project. If you compare that with battery storage, and what we do with storage is different with every customer, but one of the main charges that we're attacking is capacity charges. Mm-hmm. And so, in this particular case, I can't name the customer, but uh, they have a very large load and a very flat load profile, and mm-hmm. we're able to uh, attack those capacity days. These are just very hot days in the summer months generally when the grid is really humming at full capacity and customers end up paying more for electricity they purchase during those times of the year. And those charges could be 25% of their overall energy bill. Hmm. And so you pre-charge the battery, you get a signal from the grid operator the day before that, okay, hey, tomorrow at two o'clock is gonna be a capacity day. You pre-charge the battery and then you discharge the battery and knock down their load during that capacity two-hour period and thus save them money. And the ROI on, on, a, on that solar and storage project is something like 20 million. So more than 3x. And that's why uh, we're so excited about solar and storage. Now, it doesn't pencil for every customer. Every customer's load profile is different and their sure. use case is different. But if your if your solar developer or installer isn't um, isn't figuring out for you the value of storage, then you should talk to us.
0: Yeah, well, that's really interesting, and I, it's great to hear that you're having success uh, with with storage, particularly in the Illinois market. So, drive in a little bit further on that for our our listeners and viewers, uh, just driving a little bit further, what types of companies you mentioned a large, relatively flat load, is that a, is that customer, uh, somebody that has a plant that's running 24 seven, is it two shifts, um, and, and just kind of drive into, you know, for listeners, uh, viewers, what, what are those opportunities? What types of companies, if you're listening, should really be thinking about this and, and calling, uh biostar or continental energy solutions to explore it further
1: (laughs) yeah you know every facility could benefit from a battery especially around resiliency right and and so Mm -hmm. it's just a question of the economics and the payback period and what are your expectations so we will uh we will analyze the storage play on any project that say, you know, 300 KW of solar plus, Mm -hmm. you know, keep in mind that you can, you can use the investment tax credit on the battery part of this equation, if you pair the battery with solar. Now, there is a bill in Washington to create a storage only ITC, which is going to be wonderful, uh, because there's plenty of opportunities to do battery projects as standalone also. Mm -hmm. And but you know, you can think of the battery as a way to uh, store extra solar energy if you have extra solar energy in the summer months, and then you can discharge that battery at at key times during the day during the twenty four hour day when it when that energy has most value and there's no there's no knowing. Uh, David, without really doing a detailed analysis, and I should mention we partner with a, a company called Intelligent Generation. They're a software as service provider, spin uh, spinoff from IIT. They're based in Chicago. They're a they're a hidden gem here in the Midwest, and um, and I would strongly encourage our colleagues in the renewable energy industry to reach out to Intelligent Generation. They're very sophisticated they're members of PJM, they're members of Northeast ISO. So they are working in strategic markets where there are incentives for storage. And then, you know, exactly the value stack that you create with the battery is context dependent. Sometimes, for example, we work with manufacturers, we have a project in central Illinois, that's in MISO, where they're doing injection molding. And if they have a brownout, They have what's called an uncontrolled shutdown and their machines get gummed up with these plastics and it's very expensive for them to clean all that out and then restart. And so we installed a battery they uh, we also installed a solar array and the battery provides what's called ride through so when the grid uh, flickers. Uh, the batteries right there instantaneously with full power so that they don't have an uncontrolled shutdown and that saves them something like fifty thousand dollars every time they uh they would avoid a uncontrolled shutdown and that pencils pretty nicely over time
0: sure wow that's that's fantastic and um yeah the the storage only i t c is definitely interesting and something we follow as well and like you said there is a lot of opportunities where you don't even necessarily need a solar component but a, a business could benefit from adding uh, storage real quick just back to the 100 percent rps uh, and then we'll kind of move on but has anybody else uh established that i mean that that's a that's a big deal 100 percent rps goal renewable portfolio standard have any other states Uh, established 100% goal?
1: Yeah, there's quite a few, David. And it's a growing list. Uh, There's over 100 cities and states and I don't know. Excuse me, I don't I don't have the up to date list of states, but states like New Mexico, New Jersey, Massachusetts, New York. uh, Now, Illinois,
0: California,
1: Um, many many states across the country are pursuing 100% renewable portfolio standards, and they all have uh, slight wrinkles and variations. You know, is it is it carbon free energy? That's certainly a play here in Illinois because half our grid is is nuclear power. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the most nuclearized state in the country, and mm-hmm. this this RPS legislation is going to subsidize the nuclear industry as at the same time that it subsidizes solar wind and battery storage and we think that's a win-win because this infrastructure already exists and we're just extending the life of a couple of nuclear plants that are uneconomical today and would be shut down without this legislation but that energy truly is carbon free it's not hazard free and there are issues with nuclear waste i'm i'm not gonna uh I'm not going to sugarcoat that at all. And I know a lot about nuclear waste because I grew up fighting a nuclear waste dump in southern New Mexico called WIP. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so I know more than most about nuclear waste and the challenges it faces. But anyway, nuclear is part of the grid mix here, and we want to keep it that way. and And, you know, for another decade or so. And then it can be phased out, and we'll and we'll supplant it with with large solar farms. And I, and I should say that there is also a utility scale market happening in Illinois for solar and wind. And it's a it's a it's a it's a very different animal than behind the meter right or or uh, DG or small utility. But we have now probably a dozen hundred plus megawatt solar farms that are being developed. Uh, there's one that's just ten miles from my home that I've participated in some hearings on. It's not coming out of the ground yet. It's slated for construction in 2023. Devo- the developer is Bayouree, and uh, but there's there's a handful of these very large solar farms. These are thousand acre plus solar farms, sure. and um, you know we're rich in land, David. Here in the Midwest, we're yeah. we're just swimming in in real estate, and so we just need to take a tiny fraction of that and convert it to wind solar and
0: storage and to, you know, completely green the grid. Yeah. Well um, you mentioned, you know, the importance of nuclear remaining a mix. And I think uh, it's a good sort of transition into this energy mixture conversation, energy transition that, that I think you and I both agree needs to happen um, and, and will happen over the course of the next several decades Talk a little bit about that and, and just the importance uh, from your perspective of of starting that process sooner than later. Yeah, you know. Energy transitions
1: are part of humanity, we have gone through many transitions, we transitioned, you know, from from wood to whale oil to fossil fuels and and those transitions happen Mostly for economic reasons, because you discover fuels that you can do more with with less. Like uh, getting oil out of the ground was so, was so rich and it's so energy dense that it was a no brainer for us to stop using whale oil and start using fossil oil. And we had nothing against the whales, and um, and we would have gladly driven them extinct, honestly, right? It, just because we we were we were using their energy for for lighting, etc. So. Now we're at a point where we've developed wind, solar, and battery storage technologies to a point where they are cost competitive. Solar and wind are going head to head with natural gas uh, at large scale. And you see this in California. They're shutting down natural gas power plants. Uh, The L.A. uh, Water District is doing this, replacing a natural gas plant with a very large solar and battery storage farms. And... And so, but we're also at a unique point in history where we have been pumping CO2 into the atmosphere as a result of our burning fossil fuels for the internal combustion engine and for, uh, you know, coal-powered and natural gas-fired power plants, as well as industrial uses. But, you know, our entire society runs on fossil fuels and nuclear power today, tomorrow, it's going to be wind, solar, and battery storage. And we now have the technology to make that transition. So we have an extra incentive now, though, to step on the gas, so to speak, with the energy, tran- the, the new energy transition, because we realize that if we do not do that, climate chaos is going to be very, very expensive. It's just a scientific fact now, right, that human activity has warmed the earth, and that has consequences for our coastal communities for places in the west which are having droughts and fires with increasing frequency and even here in the midwest the climate is warming and shifting north we now have armadillos in illinois we never used to have armadillos in illinois you had to go to texas to find armadillos right but they're they're a warm uh they're a warm environment species and so we now have a tremendous opportunity and it's it's a it's a wonderful opportunity, as scary as it may be. The, the threat of climate change is very frightening, but if this is a great economic opportunity uh, to the tune of $100 trillion of economic development globally. Here in the U.S., what we need to do is invest a $1 trillion a year for 20 years. It's totally doable. We are the wealthiest country in the world. We are the most technologically advanced country in the world, and we just need to take uh one or 2% of the landscape to develop these energy resources. Sunlight is free. Wind is free, right? You have to pay on the front end for the infrastructure. And, and then once it's paid off, it's all gravy, right? And then you can reduce your carbon footprint and go net zero by 2050. And it's a choice. Uh, so, it, but it is, it means jobs and and wealth creation, which is causing a huge influx of capital. I get I get messaged every week now from large investors who are looking for solar, wind and battery storage projects to invest in. So if you're not a solar developer or asset owner, you should seriously consider that if you have resources to bring to bear or if you're looking at a career or a career change, please consider Uh, renewable energy, it is going to be a gold mine and a rocket ship for the next 30 years.
0: I couldn't agree more and um, really appreciate your your insight. And, you know, it seemed you know a lot about batteries and you're installing successful battery projects. Um, The obviously you mentioned kind of at the top of the hour, the top of the episode, uh, you know, the tremendous shift in cost and the cost of solar panels and other related equipment has come down so tremendously uh, in the last, you know, 50, 70 years. Um, Talk about where battery storage is from your perspective in that cycle and how much further uh, does that technology, I know you're finding successful ways to install these um batteries now and particularly where where businesses have resiliency issues um but talk about from your perspective how much further do batteries really need to go with respect to efficiency and cost to be able to obviously one of the challenges of solar is that it's an intermittent power resource and so you need that storage component um i think a lot of people think hydrogen has a, a big role to play in the future from your perspective, you know where does this battery and storage market need to go um, to where we really can replace coal plants uh, with with solar and storage?
1: Yeah, and for any of our listeners who really want to understand this, and I'm learning too, so I I have a lot to learn. But I would I would encourage our listeners. I, I'm I happen to be reading a book by Mark Jacobson. It's a, it's called 100% clean renewable energy. So check out this book. Mark is a, a professor at stan at Stanford University, and he's been studying how we can create a 100% clean grid with solar, wind, and storage. It's very early days still for batteries, David, but batteries are now economical. We see EVs are probably the most prominent adoption of batteries in society now, and here in the U.S okay, EV sales are only 2 to 3% of new cars. By 2025, between 2025 and 2030, we're going to go to 100%. It's going to change very quickly. We are on the doorstep of a, of a tipping point. In Norway, now 80% of new car sales are pure EV. Mm-hmm. So lithium-ion technology is the technology uh, of the day, so to speak, but there's lots of, uh, of different technologies, there's an iron air battery, which is being touted for long-term storage by a company called Form Energy, there's liquid metal battery technologies, and so we're going to continue to evolve this technology, create greater density per dollar, right, and, and, um, but it, it does, it does start to go head-to-head in ways that make economic sense. And then you look at resiliency, David, which is really worth an infinite, an infinite amount of money. Like Mm -hmm. when the grid goes down, like it did in February in Texas, right? There was Mm -hmm. a, there was a cold snap Arctic air swooped down there. The infrastructure was not built for cold temps and the grid failed and people were without power for sometimes five days. Yeah. When you don't have power, you don't have running water. You don't have, Uh, lighting you don't have heating your furnace doesn't work etc etc and life is pretty miserable and people die and i think upwards of a thousand people died in the grid outage in texas now that's not a huge number but it's a it's a wake-up call right and so batteries are a tremendous opportunity because as you mentioned solar and wind are intermittent and that's just the nature of the that beast right the sun only shines during the day i wish it shined 24 7 but then we wouldn't have nighttime life would be very different but we do have a technology to store energy and whether you're storing grid power or uh or solar energy or wind energy right in real time and you know, if you want to see the future of batteries, look to Europe and Australia. They're the early adopters. Yeah. Uh, residential batteries, right? Uh, uh, like the Tesla Powerwall, are a real thing in Australia. And they're still—it's still very early days. A very small number of consumers have a Powerwall or a, or a similar battery in their in their garage. But when you start to look, there are dozens and dozens of manufacturers. You know, LG—if they make electronics, they now make batteries too. Mm-hmm. And so they are, they are uh, becoming attractive for consumers. And, and now there's really nice incentives and the Biden administration is going to sweeten those incentives even more, which just shortens that payback period and, and makes it possible for everyday middle-class consumers like you and I to grab onto resiliency. That's the main thing that I'm excited about so that you can island from the grid. If you have a solar array, but no battery in your garage when the grid goes down your solar array stops producing power it has to disconnect mm-hmm. for safety reasons right but if you have a battery in the hardware to island then you have resiliency and you can have some emergency loads you keep your refrigerator running keep the lights on maybe even keep the internet running
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, as we know like when the internet goes down life ends uh i'm i'm you know i'm useless without my internet so uh, i want i want a battery in my garage
0: yeah likewise i um i live in kansas city and uh i certainly don't have one but uh it's it's great to see you know manufacturers like tesla and others uh, making products that the everyday consumer really can use and benefit from and as we're recording this here um this was recorded a few weeks before it was you know released but uh hurricane ida has you know passed through New Orleans and Louisiana and created just an unbelievable amount of devastation. Uh, and I think some people are predicting that there could be lost power for as much as a month, which is just a, a really horrifying thing to think about. Um, so certainly, you know, an unbelievable amount of innovation in that space, and certainly a lot more innovation to come. And uh, it'll change change our worlds, I think, for the better. Um, so it's really exciting times. Um, I want you to, before we sign off, talk a little bit about your podcast. I, I really enjoy your podcast. Highly recommend that our listeners and viewers, um, you know, follow, like, uh, tune into Tim's episodes. But talk a little bit how you got into podcasting and um, the Solar Podcast. I, I love the name Clean Power Hour. Uh, but tell us a little bit about that side.
1: Sure I appreciate that you know when I came to Continental in 20 in the spring of 2017 I started a webinar a monthly webinar to provide commercial industrial facility owners information about how solar saves them money because solar it's very early days for solar here in the Midwest most business owners don't know how it works and what it does and then I started to have some guests. I had Eric Posse on from IPS Solar. They're a community solar developer out of Minnesota. And I had a solar financier on the show to talk about uh, capital leases. And I realized that having guests was a wonderful way to create meaningful content and not have to prepare an entire presentation and slide deck myself. And so I, uh, I guess starting in 2019... I segued to the interviews and uh, you know, it was called Ear- solar works for Illinois in the early days. And then as, as my market boomed and busted, I realized that we need to spread out of Illinois. And so I renamed the podcast, the solar podcast, and truly we are looking for EPC opportunities east of the Rockies and uh, And, and that's, and that's, uh, you know, not easy. We are well known in Illinois, but we are not a, we are not a a household name anywhere else, really. So, uh, but yeah, I love doing these interviews. The other nice thing about podcasting, and you can appreciate this, David, is I I develop projects, and project development takes time. It, you know, a very fast commercial project would be 12 months, but they can easily take uh, three, four, five years, whereas podcasting is instant gratification. I'm providing meaningful content. So I I try to bring on folks like yourself who are experts in your field. Uh, I bring on solar developers. I bring on government officials uh, like Becca Jones-Albertus, who heads up the solar technologies office at the DOE. And we were talking about Solar App, which is a way to speed solar permitting for residential solar. And um, and now I kind of see myself as a spokesperson for the industry. I then started a second show last year with a uh, PV magazine journalist named John Weaver. He's also a solar installer, so he knows his stuff. And he's a real geek for technology. He's very passionate for PV technology in particular. And he's brought some very uh, wonderful interviews to that show. We, t- we tend to do a news roundup. Uh, we drop a video every Friday where we're just talking about the energy transition news, what's going on in solar, wind, and storage. And then sometimes we throw in some SpaceX news just because we're both space geeks. And uh, but, but check out the PV interviews. Like uh, Cubic PV has been on. They're doing multi-junction, multi-layer, perovskite, and uh, PV technology. And we also had Meyer Berger on the show. They're a German solar panel manufacturer that used to be known for making the machine that makes solar panels. And now they're vertically integrating and making a low carbon, um, high performance solar panel themselves. So John has been a wonderful addition to my podcasting career, and I really uh, I get a lot out of it. And and I make uh, many new friends like you, David. I really look forward to staying in touch with you and hopefully doing business at some point in the near future.
0: Yeah, likewise, we absolutely connected uh, via podcasts, and uh, I was honored to be welcomed onto your show and. We certainly have EPC opportunities around the country. And so uh, looking forward to, you know, exploring further opportunities to do business together. Uh, before we sign off, make sure our listeners and viewers know how to find you online, how to find the podcast and give it a follow. And then we will uh, sign off.
1: Sure. Well, the, the main website for our content is cesnrg.com forward slash podcast. You can find all the solar podcasts there. There's a big red subscribe button. Just hit that button to subscribe on YouTube. All the clean power hours are there as well. You just have to scroll down. And then I'm very active on LinkedIn like yourself. If you just Google uh, Tim Montague on LinkedIn, you'll find me. And I'm also on Twitter. I'm less active on Twitter, but I am active. And that's uh, my handle is TG Montague.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Tim. Uh, This has been another episode of Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart. Thank you for tuning in. Please give us a like, a follow, and uh, make sure to check back next week for another episode. Tim Montague, Head of Business Development for Continental Energy Solutions. Thanks again for coming on today. Thanks a lot, David. Take care. Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America.